You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Sumzach, as I said. Halachic psokim from contemporary Rabbonim uh, that hopefully have quite a bit of relevance. Uh, we'll start today with issues that have to do with the change from the regular schedule to the summer and back from the summer schedule back to regular. Um, one of the interesting alochas that that people sometimes disregard is what occurs when a family has a bungalow or a vacation home and the head of the family, however, because due to work considerations, needs to stay away. He needs to be uh, in New York, in the city, and he can only go to the country uh, sporadically and every Shabbos. Well, what could be the problem with that? Well, the problem is sleeping alone in a house. Gemara says in, in Shabbos that Hayoshan Yechidi Balayla Babayas that if you're in a house sleeping by by yourself, Ochasto Lilut, that the demon Lilith will be somehow grab you. Now, first, I guess what one could you know knock off the issue is by saying, well, we don't have demons anymore. And the Rambam said that there are demons is just something that was part of a superstitious uh, mindset. Well, that's a really a whole separate sheer as to the Rambam's dismissal. But we do know that in some ways, uh, modern postkim have actually told us that many of the worries about demons and zugot don't apply uh, the way they used to. Some say they don't apply at all in Eretz Yisrael once there is a this, the Yishuv has returned there. Um, there's been other um, uh, traditions, Shmuel Kamenetsky and others have quoted the tradition that when the great uh, Graf Patotsky, the uh, Gert Sedek in the time of the Vilna Gon, when he refused to go back to his uh, his relatives within the church and he died on Kiddush Hashem, supposedly what that happened was was that that a lot of the power of these of these demonic forces was weakened including the one of the forces about washing your hands in the morning and how homer that is um so some of the powers of demons were somehow rendered um uh, not as strong and viable um, since the mid part of the 18th and then the 19th and 20th century, especially here in Israel. So there is discussion, even those who don't want to just say like the Rambam, that demons are part of a superstitious Avodah mentality. But even those that want to say that, they yes, they were around, but they are weaker now than they, they had been. Um, I think that this specific uh, discussion here about sleeping by yourself it's not so much about the demon Lilith as it is Chazal telling you that this is a, a problem in terms of, of of fantasy, sexual fantasies. This is what Lilith is about. Uh, it isn't so much, yes, it's true, there is this Lilith type of, um, of, of feminine demon 
But really, it's about what she does to you. And 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 the point is, is that if a person, especially uh, who has been married, is sleeping by himself, this is not really a good thing, a, a, a healthy thing for his mind. Um, and I think that's really what Chazal are worried about. And uh, the it's interesting that the uh, there are actually some postkim who write that it's not even the house; it's even sleeping alone in the room, which would be very, very difficult because that happens all the time. People sleep by themselves in the room. But the there's an argument between two brothers-in-law between the Chazanish and the Stipler about this. The Stipler said that if one has a light on in the room, then that would not be an issue. In other words, the light in the room, I guess, in a way, you know, ameliorates the the problem of sleeping by yourself. I think part of the thing is also that in the time of Chazal, there was a sense of the danger of, like, who are you going to call? What's going to happen? You're you're all alone. There's no one to see. You've fallen. You can't get up. There's nobody there. So I think that's one of the reasons why we can be makel as far as that goes in terms of people who have to sleep by themselves. Uh, if you do want to be machmir, again, there is the idea of being machmir on, on the, uh, on uh, having some sort of light on. Now that's in the beginning of the summer. Now, now during the summer, as we know in, in the Northeast, as uh, not only Route 17, which is the main uh, connector from New York to the mountains, but then once you get off at the various exits and you're taking these various state, county highways in Sullivan County, the traffic we know can be horrendous, as anybody who wants to go up for Visitor's Day or any of these other type of things realize. Um, they aren't four lanes, and because of that, it's quite crowded. Well, okay, so what does that have to do with Aloha? Well, I'll tell you. Um, we know that more often than not, um, travel has to happen, especially uh, for women who need to travel uh, and get to, for perhaps, let's say, to the mikvah when they're up there in the summer. All right. Well, the husband has a car, doesn't he? Not always. So now the question is, uh, is there a problem taking a from car service or something like that of a of a man and a woman? Uh, a woman driving uh, a, a man driving the woman. So the 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 hanhog is usually that it should be more than one. There's the problem of yichud. So the hanhog is usually that there should be more than uh, one woman, preferably three, because the Gemara says that two women and one man is a problem of yichud. All right, uh, because remember they're alone in a car and it's at night, and here is a problem in terms of transportation. Now, why do I say this is about the mountains or any other or different than the other place? Because this is where it's interesting. The halacha is, is that, first of all, um, a, a rishus harabim, which is where people are always traveling and people are always walking and people can always see, which could cause a, a sense of fear and worry, that is true on a highway. And that is true, especially on a crowded highway and a highway when there's always cars coming. Now, even though you're in a, an enclosed space in a car, um, the, and the, the Gemara says in Kedushan that if you are in a house and the Pesach is open to Rishus Harabim, 
then that is already considered not a problem of yichud. Hmm. All right, but you're not in a car. You're not in a home, and and and, and you're not stationary. Well, the Noida Behuda in a very famous psak wrote that it's it doesn't have to be a door that's that's that the uh, that this couple is near for it not to be considered yichud. Um. But even if it is in a room with an open window, and if the open window is open to Rishus Harabim, that already generates enough of a sense of fear or a sense of worry that this these this man and woman that are unmarried can be in that room. Now, the next question is, well, can anybody just, is it because of people coming in? So here we have a machlokas again about what does it mean the Pesach is pasuach to Rishos HaRabim or the window. Does it mean that the window is open and people can climb in? Or does it mean the window is not locked? So here the Chazanish and others rule that if the door is unlocked, that's sufficient. If the window that's open to Rishul Sarabim, that at least it's unlocked. <laughs> well, of course, people can't catch up with the speeding car, but the point is that the that the couple inside is not locked. All right. But in a house, one could argue, even though it's not locked, somebody could open it. Maybe the husband or maybe someone else. Is it possible that somebody can, you know, can could somehow, you know, I guess if there's enough of the traffic is stopped, somebody could just open up the, the car. And who knows what and carjack you. So that could happen. But you need to redefine what it means that the door is open or the window is open. It's not so much that someone can come in. It's that the fact that there's others who can see you means that you 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 are scared of doing something that's untoward. You're scared of taking advantage. You're scared. Both parties are scared of of perhaps exercising their desires. So one has to use that type of svarah to say, A, that a the window is enough and the streets and the mountains are enough to be considered Rishul Sarabim. And as long as the car is door is unlocked, that would be, that would, uh, you would not have to have three women in the car, but actually one woman can go with one man, even though, of course, she's not her husband. Halakhically, she should probably, she should probably still sit in the back seat, as uh, the Nitta Gabriel says, that she should, of course, she's in the back. Better, uh, in, in that case, to take a, a taxi than an Uber. And the reason is because, and I don't, know, I don't know if in Sullivan County, if the taxis are that uh, prevalent, I'm not sure. But one thing in a taxi is that the there is an actual barrier between the person in the back seat and the person in the front seat. And there are certain rules, whereas in most Ubers, uh, it's just pretty much a car. And, you know, you could just do it in your own car. Um, there is another two other svaras here that can allow it to happen. Number number one is the fact that the um, the taxi driver or the Uber driver is fearfully afraid that uh, if perhaps he does make the first move or do something that he will be reported or lose his job, uh, 
Um, there have been, of course, incidents of Uber drivers taking advantage. Um, if both are consent, if, however, if it's consensual, uh, I'm not sure if that's such a strong svar. Another svar, the Nitti Gavriel suggests, is that the responsibility to wear seatbelts. And if it's true, it's a area where um, the not wearing seatbelts means you might be pulled over by a policeman noticing that you're not wearing seatbelts. And that is definitely true in the city of New York. I'm not sure if it's true up in in the mountain areas of the of, of the state. But if that is true, so that would be, again, another uh, sniff, as we say, uh, to allow this to happen. Now, all this is talking about in the midst of the summer season. But now, as the summer season begins to wane down, and let's say somebody still wants to stay there because they have this bungalow that they want to stay as still as it's warm to Rosh Hashanah or whatever. So once those highways become l- very ill-traveled and there's barely a car, so it's possible that that, w- that should be a problem. And again, here you have to sort of figure out what's considered heavily traveled, what's considered very light traveled. The time of day clearly could indic- could clearly be a, a factor in that. Um, so most posts can say that if it's if it's if it's late at night, where you very seldom see a car, where it's just once in a while uh, you're going to get a car that's going to uh, approach you. So if that's what you're talking about, then that is considered um, a non-Rishos Arabim because it's only it's only very seldom that the cars are approaching. Um, there is a svara that Rav Shlom Avinair suggests, and that is that, well, since you are fearful of a car approaching at any minute, so that is similar to the fear of somebody seeing you. So as long as there is that fear that, oh, I better be on my lookout because I've got to have uh, another car might come and you're or, you're still in the middle of traveling. So whether it, it, it constitutes a true Rishul Sarabim or not, it definitely constitutes the same type of, uh, of mental mindset that means that uh, there, that, that would uh, mitigate against the problems of Yichud. Uh, there's one other consideration, though, which is that if you use the, and all of this is, of course, built on the heter of the Neide Yehuda in terms of Yehud, the, the problem is, is that if there is no light in the car, um, and if it's dark, nobody can really see in. So one of the things that the postkim uh, indicates should happen is that you should keep the inner the internal light of the car on, keep the internal light of the car on, so that will in that is another tsa. Now, of course, in some places, keeping the internal light of the car on could cause the driver uh, to be distracted, and it might be a problem of guach nefesh. So, again, if the the female passenger who is for whatever reason needing to go and, and use that car, she could either you know have her cell phone and. Um, use the flashlight. And this is the case with a question that was really raised, I I discovered in my research, was actually raised by a number of sources around, starting around 1960, for about three or four or five years. And that was a very interesting question. Um, We know, of course, that it's a minag almost universal, to, to wear a yarmulke, right? To wear a kippah. Now, in, in halacha, the iser of not having your head covered, um, not the minag, but the iser, 
is really divided between the Machlokas, the Rambam, and the Beis Yosef. Uh, and this is based on really on, on two opinions in the Gemara, and it actually, um, and the, or how to learn the Gemara. And this is, is it for every Askara, meaning every mention of the name of God in any Baruch or Tefillah, or is it only Bishas Tefillah, the prime tefillah, the tefillah of Shmona Esrei. Is that where you have the kpeda that there must be, your head must be covered? They just usher to daven, as we say, to daven Shmona Esrei without, uh, without your head covered? Or is it any askara? Now, besides that, there's also what's in terms of chazal called, because uh, because various Amaroyim spoke about that this was a, a shevach for them. This was a kobot for them. This was something that they uh, had achieved so that they never went Dalad Amis Begili Arosh. And as it said in Shulchan Aruch as well, that you wouldn't walk Dalad Amis Begili Arosh, that it's part of the Hanhog of Gaiva, it's a lack of Tznius. And again, as we know, that even the term Yarmulka has to do with the idea of Yiro Me'ashem, Me'amelech, Me'amelech, that you have to envelop yourself in a Tznius form when you're walking in the street. Okay. So there's three, there's two aspects here. There's being masker shem Hashem without uh, the, the keep on. And then there is the aspect of, of just walking in the, of, of walking in the street, of, of, of walking around without a keep So here's the emperor has no clothes question. Why was this never instituted as far as women go? Why were women somehow mufka from the parsha? Now, some will say that, of course, well, the Rambam in Ilchas Asiribiyah does say that there's a Hanhoga of, of, of all psulis, uh, and, and, and married women as well to keep their, to, to not have their hair, to have not their hair uncovered. There's a question, does the Rambam mean uncovered or does he mean unbraided? There's some that say that even though the Rambam says that the that that Benoist Yisrael, uh should not have their uh, hair parua wildly out, this just means that they their hair can be in a bun or something. But other you know, but other than that, Rambam, even though the Rambam does write that, the the basic Yiddish Shavelt that we know doesn't honor that at all. And the question is why. And and I discovered from. Um, Rabavadya Hodaya, the Yaskil Avdi, and then um Rav Mazuz, uh the Ish Matzliach, um, they started dealing with this question. And, and, and uh, from a sociological standpoint, I think what was happening was they came from places like Jerba and North Africa, and they were familiar with Sephardi communities where women did indeed cover their hair. Uh the, the Yemenite girls actually cover their hair just like um just like the boys did. Uh, boys cover their hair and, and girls cover their hair. Uh, when the famous traveler, Yaakov Evans Sapir in the 19th century, uh, traveled uh, to the Yemenite countries, uh, he asked them, he said, what about the the, sec- the mission in the beginning of the second period of Ksuvis? It says, the symbol of 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 of, of, Amer- of the fact that she was Absula is that, that her hair was uncovered. <laughs> Here, everybody has their hair covered. So they told him in Yemen, it's only on the wedding day that they allow her to uncover her hair or the customs uncover her hair. We have all these pictures of of brides in, in, in the Yemenite uh, community. So, yes, and in, in, in Jerba and other places in Tunisia, as as as, uh, as the Ishmatliach writes, they women were makbid in terms of covering their hair for brochis. 
Um, so these Rabbanim wanted to know, and it was it came to Chacham Avadia's desk as well, why don't we try to, why isn't this happening here in the in, in, in Eretz Yisrael as the school system started uh, educating these young girls? Why wasn't there any push for that? Now, Chacham Avadia actually uh, uh, paskent in two places, and well, it's basically based on what he says in the um, in, in the Abiy Oimer that we should, and that the administrators should start to institute this idea that especially if the girls are engaged in a davening of Shmanesrei, that the girls should have their heads covered when they do that. But what would be the answer? So there's a couple of of, of there's a couple of approaches. Chachamavadi himself tries to actually justify what he sees as the wrong minag, and I think it's worth sharing. Chambadia says that it's, it's, it really isn't something magical about the hair being, uh, head being covered. The head covering was really based, he says, on a sociological reality, and I don't know how far it stemmed back, but clearly from the time of the Tanoim and the Amaroyim, and that was that when you went to see an Ish Mechubed, a man went to, he went with his head covered. When he went to plead his case to the king, or any time he wanted to appear in a respectful manner, it was with the head covered. So obviously, if when you're when you're making a bracha, for sure when you're standing Shman Esrei, it was understood that men should cover their hairs, head. But women never had that custom, even could be because they weren't so involved, but even when they had to be brought in front of a magistrate or in front of some sort of governor or minister, women never covered their hair. And since women, that wasn't considered like disrespectful, so it doesn't necessarily translate in halacha either. That's one, that's what Chocham Avadia wrote. Despite the fact that he says he doesn't, he's not macabre that because he says, sof kol sof, it's, it's still important, but that is one justification of why it doesn't happen. Another possibility is a, a very nice chuba from the Tzitz Eliezer, Revolution of Waldenberg, where he um, posits that it's based on the Taz, of course, who says that anybody who doesn't wear a yarmulke today is definitely, you have to be choshish that he's not bikurus, and this is not bikurus. How can it be that anybody could try, you know, and of course he mentions the great Marshal, Rabshul Mahuria, and others, and his, his father-in-law, who also indicate that it's possible that you could go without a yarmulke in certain type of situations. And the Taz, of course, you know, really comes down hard and says that this is really, in a way, like, um, it's, 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 almost a tenet of Judaism. Now, the reason behind this is not just because it's a very strong minag. It's clear from the Taz that it's based on the fact that Jews strengthened their yarmulke wearing, uh, that it shouldn't be just a milsa de chasidusa in response to Christianity. That in the Christian world, in the in the churches, um, men would actually take off their, they would take off their uh, their head covering. And therefore, the response was, hmm, that what we're going to do is using this chazal, but turning it into a chokavua, that it should be the opposite of chukas hagoyim, that we need to actually do the opposite. Otherwise, we seem to be implying the same sort of Christian type of mindset. So on that, the Tzitzeliezer suggests that then we do the same thing for women. It seems, although again, you would have to be, I guess, a somewhat of a historian and and try to figure out. It would seem that in the churches, when women did come in, and you do see this this image of women, I guess, especially the nuns and stuff. You see, when the women are involved in the church, they have their head completely covered. 
And whether it was the whether it was the nuns or any of these these types of quote unquote holy women that would be crying, they would have their head covered. So therefore, the opposite is true that we actually never did encourage that because that was the case. Um, again, I quote Rav Shlomaviner, who says he heard something and he doesn't know exactly uh, from where he heard it, but he says it, it's sort of relevant to where we're holding now. I guess, uh, we, but the Weblung chauffeur. Uh, from this point on, till Erev Rosh Hashanah. Erev Rosh Hashanah, we will not blow shofar. Um, that would be on that Erev Shabbos. We would not blow shofar. But we would blow shofar up until that point. And the reason is, is to be mavdil bain the tekios that are minag, as old and as sacred as the minig is, to the tekios that you're chayiv. Now, of course, this year, you don't blow shofar on Shabbos anyway, but still, uh, the point is the point is, is the same. So uh, Rabbi Vinir says in a similar fashion, if the, if we would have all women cover their head and and, and and push for that minag, even if it's only in terms of, let's say, tefillah and brachos, people would believe that the reason is the same. In other words, people would say, well, it's all the same minag. It's all the same idea of married women and unmarried women. They all cover their hair. But that's not really the same for an unmarried woman. Based on the pasuk in, in the parsha of Saita, we have a uh, it's an iser daraisa, as you know, it seems to be a bit of of priyas reish. So that would be an erva, an erva daraisa. It's based that's uh, it's clearly on a much higher level. So in order not to confuse things, that is what uh, why the minag has been in Kal Yisrael not to uh, have women covering their hair. Um, I saw an, another approach here, which is based on the drush of the maral, very famous drushus maral on the Torah, on the maral, where the maral posits this idea that in many ways women have a natural connection to spirituality; they don't need the type of gedorim and siogos that we have. Ultimately, if you say this is about generate a greater sense of yira and snius, women have that much more inherently, so they don't need to have that external aspect. Actually, uh, I thought it was a question that, um, like I said, it's like, whoop, <laughs> why have I never asked that? You know, I guess when I was five years old or four years old, I wanted to know why the girls in school weren't wearing yarmulkes and wants to get married, or even before a, a boy or a girl decide to go out. And this was a question that uh, Ramesha Feinstein's was asked. There was a... Um, a man who suffered from Marfan syndrome. Now, Marfan syndrome, I might be mispronouncing it, uh, was something that has been indicated that Abraham Lincoln also had. It was at one time called gigantism. Um, and part of it was because there was an elongation in the face and in the in the hands and in the fingers. Like normally we know from the famous Da Vinci uh, uh I don't know what it's called, the Da Vinci image, um, and also really from Chazal as well, that a person, if you would take you know, the length of a person having his hands outstretched, usually equals the person's height. Well, that's not always the case. And there are definitely certain people who are suffering from Marfan syndrome. Uh, uh, it's clearly longer than, than they are, even though they're also quite tall, tall and gaunt. And... In, in, in extremes, in, in many situations, uh, it leads to uh, problems with the aorta, and there needs to be a type of surgery uh, to correct it. Otherwise, the aorta might burst. 
And also, uh, as and I heard this from actually uh, an ophthalmologist who told me that he had many, many cases of Marfan syndrome because often there's a problem with the, you know, as the skull develops and the eye lens somehow is affected and many times shifts out of place to the point that the person becomes blind in one eye and or maybe even two and this was actually the case of the Bokhru who came to who who came to to Ramosha with this question and what was the question that he had his question was um should he try to start having shaduchim should he be involved in this or not um the worry of course is that as a uh, uh he had discovered that um there's a 50% chance that even if he married a girl a woman who did not have this syndrome, there's a 50% chance that he would pass this on to his children. And should he do this? Um, the, 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 in, in, there's a, in Simon Bay's in Evan Ezer, it says, well, that a person should not marry a, a person who's, who the family seems to have a predisposition to epilepsy. So there seems to be from Shulchan Aruch itself and Ashara that someone who has a congenital congenital issues in their family should not be involved in Shaduchim. So this was the question of the phrase Ramesha. So Ramesha said that clearly um, um, the person still has a mitzvah pruvu of being able to find a wife. Um, and 50%, he says, means that a, a tefillah is definitely possible, despite what the doctors are saying, and that he should have bitochen tashem and daven, that there will not be a problem in terms of in terms of uh, the child suffering in the same way he does, or suffering from the same illness. Tefillah works, and no matter what they say, and therefore you know, Rav Moshe said that the tefillah can work, that even though they're telling you there's a 50% chance, but 50%, those odds mean <laughs> that, that it, it's quite possible that the child will be normal, and therefore you should just daven that you will have normal, that the children should not have, be afflicted by this syndrome, and you should go out and, and get married and do that. Now, <laughs> in terms of this 50%, um, there are some poskim who assume that if the if Rav Moshe was talking about 50%, then maybe higher than 50%, Rav Moshe would not give the same sock. That if it was a 60 or 70% chance, perhaps, uh, that the child would be affected by a certain uh, this certain disease, that perhaps one would be considered an onus. I'm not sure if I, I agree, based on the way I read the Rav Moshe's tshuva. It seems to me, again, I can pull it up here, but again, it would take a little bit of time. But I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I agree on that uh, on that score, that that would be the same. Again, one could make the case. The Ramesha only spoke about in a case where it's a it's a toss up, and there you daven and you hope things work out. It's interesting that Ramesha adds that if you can't find, since you have to obviously tell the the prospective girl what you have. Obviously, she sees the guy is tall and gaunt, and you know, you know, he's not exactly normal looking. But you need to be Megala to the other side, what it is that has caused this to happen. You can't fool them. Otherwise, it's Aino. And that's, you know, the same way there's Aino in any sort of um, 
deal where you where you lie about the goods you're selling, where you're selling yourself, of course, you have to be upfront about that. You can't try to hide the fact that this is what's going on. Now, so you're upfront. And because you're upfront, although it doesn't have to be the first or second date, uh, this is something that Rebel Yoshev felt that any type of congenital issues in the family that you have, you do not have to tell them on the first date. Rebel Yoshev felt that you can start on the second date uh, as far as that goes. Okay, so you've told them. Um, and now you can't find anybody that wants to continue. So Ramesh interestingly says that you could maybe find a poor woman who's, when you, if you have money, she's willing to take this risk with you. And because it's not really a risk, I'll be halacha. Because again, it's a so, and she's not mitzvah pru or vu. It's the man who is not supposed to be involved in this way. If there's if if there's such a strong chance, and therefore, um, Rav Meisha said that you try to pay, and if you pay your way through, you may be able to find someone who is willing to marry you, not for love but for money, and at least this way you will have a wife. Elushevis Yitzara. And Rav Meisha says clearly that even if it turns out that the children are afflicted this way, it doesn't mean that their lifespans are going to be so severely shortened. They can be part of the world just like anyone else. Um, they don't necessarily, yes, it, it, there are illnesses and things, but Rav Meisha felt that that's L'Shevus Yitzhara and, and there wouldn't be that problem. Um, if you can't, he says, and you can't find anyone, so then Rabbi Moshe finally says, you're potter, and you're, you can't, so you'll try to find someone who you can marry, who perhaps has already passed the childbearing age, and is willing to get married to you. Now, this is Rabbi Moshe's tshuva. I saw again, and I quote here again, Rabbi Shlom Avignar in this case, he was approached by a woman who discovered she was a carrier for ALS. Seems like um, ALS was in her family, and uh, she went uh, and did some uh, genetic testing on herself and blood work and genetic testing. And she discovered that at this point, she did not have it and it wasn't present in her. However, the doctors could not rule out that this was something um, that would not rear its head and that definitely um, it could uh, it could impact her children. Um, so Rabbi Viner wants to compare ALS to Rav Moshe's Marfan syndrome, Tshuva. And it doesn't, again, I, I, I would think Yeshua I think Rav Moshe's, and, and my good friend Zev Zand, who I weren't in Kleble with, I saw in the, his Sefer, which I don't have, but I found the Nights of that he wrote about this, and he seems to imply, and I feel the same way, that the two illnesses are, are quite different. It's possible that Rav Moshe's, again, Avkadi, of course, need Gedoli Hayro, but I don't know if you can assume just from Rav Moshe's Tshuva that uh, the same would apply to a, a disease like ALS, which is is much more severe and much more debilitating in terms of what it does to the person. And again, you know, it's it's all in the Foshes, and it could be Rav Moshe would admit that in that case, um, that would be a mania. And perhaps you would be considered an honest from being Makayim Pruervu in that case, because uh, it would, what it would lead to, even though the percent, it's not 100% that the children would, would be, but they're definitely carriers of that gene and it could definitely rear its head 
uh, with those type of consequences. Um, Rav Zilberstein, interestingly, who is now considered uh, by many as one of the premier poiskim in, in Eretz Yisrael, um, and you know his, his influence is is is, is, is massive. Uh, he wrote in an early work that he that he wrote for, which is the shurim he gave to doctors, which he turned into a, a multi-volume sefer, that he feels in all of these things, Bahadi Kavsha the Rahman Alomali, that basically just like Chizkiyo Amelech, who was had Ruchakodesh, that his son would be a Russia and live a terrible life, but he had to do his mitzvah because as 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 Yeshaya told him, this is the secrets of of God. So even though we've somehow discovered with our own sort of scientific knowledge that this is the this is the statistical reality of what will occur, we have to just do our mitzvah. And therefore, despite the percentages, Rav Zilberstein says that one has to continue uh, in this, one just has to uh, be, has to find the wife and be Makayim. Um, again, uh, I, I can't say for sure. Um, you know, Ramesha does not say Hani Kavsha the Rahman, he doesn't use that swar at all. He does seem to be going with percentages. So it does seem that I, I would say that Rav Zilberstein's Psak. I don't know if it aligns with the, my reading of of the of Rav Moshe's tshuva in this case. Minigner Tzisrael, if you've spent any length of time there, is they they daven longer, uh, even in the average Balabatim shul, and uh, at least the ones I've sampled, Shmanesrei takes a lot longer than it does in the average Balabatim shul here in America. And again, whatever the reason behind it is, the increased kedusha, you know, hashpah from the top. So many times I find that visitors from Eretz Yisrael are frustrated because they're visiting their mother-in-law, they're visiting their grandmother, they're visiting somebody in the Balabatish community, and they have a problem with the Shman Esrei because the, they're off to the races, especially because many times in the summer, and that's the case here in my community, the Rabbanim themselves are off. So when the Rav is there, the, the Balabatim believe it's all about, let's wait for the rabbi. They don't realize what the Orach HaShulchan writes clearly, that waiting for the rabbi is really, the rabbi is the model of what a tefillah should be. And therefore, even if the rabbi is not there, hopefully he already impressed upon the Balabatim what should be a normal time for, for, for davening. Roshul Mazamad Orbach, I don't know, if, I wouldn't call it a quip, because I think he meant it seriously. When people asked him, what should be this, what should be the standard amount of time that you wait uh, before you start Chazar Hashat, so he says, probably a minute for each bracha, right? So you should at least have an 18 minute monastery. I mean, again, on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, of course, uh, that, that's that's very common. Anyway, the point though is Balabatim or Balabatim, and I, uh, that's really the reality. So one of these B'nai Eretz Yisrael came to me and said, look, I got a problem. He says, generally, okay, so I start davening and I'm, I, I'm here way after the, the people have left the shul from Arav. But I have yard site. Uh, and I, I don't want to daven for the omen, but I want to say Kaddish. Mm, what should he do? So I told him, and again, this was in between Mincha and Marif, and he came over to me because he happened to see, look, I, I'm not so holy, but he happened to see that I was also one of the people who daven a little bit longer than the, the standard chever there. So I told him, look, seems to me that what you should do is you should start your Marif 
you know, when, because there's going to be a little bit of a speech in between Mincha and Marev, start your Marev in the middle of the, the speech or whatever it was, the, the Dvar Halacha. And this way, you'll, be, you'll start your Shemana Esrei while they're still doing Birchaz Kriyar Shema. And this way, when they start Birchaz Kriyar Shema, you already be in the middle of your Shemana Esrei, and your normal Shemana Esrei time will coincide as you finish with their finishing, and you'll be able to say the Kaddish. This was my Eitzim. So he said to me, what? It won't be Tvila B'Tzibor. So I said, wait one second. You're right. According to the Prima Godim, it's not called Tefillah B'Tzibur unless you start together. Now, everybody understands that even in the time of the holy period in Europe and before, that not everyone davens in the same speed in the same, in the same way. But the Prima Godim says you, they at least have to start together. So in other words, if you, if you aren't able to start together, even though by the time you're finished with your bracha, the people around you, many of them are already two or three brachas ahead, but at least it has a shame because the people, the, the requisite amount of people, six or nine or ten, the old six, according to some shitas, but let's say, let's say it's got to be ten, so they all started together. So here, so I said to him, yes, that is the prima godim shita, but Rav Moshe Feinstein, uh, not like that, that you are able to start, that you, as long as you, part of Shmon Esrei is happening together, where you are happening together, that's called Tefillah B'Tzibur. Meaning, and of course this chaps a big nafkamina, this would mean that uh, if you come late and the Tzibur has already started Shmon Esrei, so according to Rav Moshin Shlom Zalman, you would have a kiyum of Tefillah B'Tzibur. You'd have a kiyum of Tefillah B'Tzibur. Now, the uh, the problem is, is that uh, there's a halacha that that if that you have to worry about saying Kedusha. Now, with Marav, you don't have that problem. Normally, yes, would it be a kiyum of Tefillah B'Tzibur, but we'll go against the Gemara and Brochus that says that if you come late, and then you realize that, that that you won't be able to say to do, uh, to, to say Kedusha, then you should wait. And there you have the eights of Rav Haigon, uh, to to uh, actually daven mila b'mila word by word with the chazan, uh, that's that that is an eitz that eventually seems to be the standard practice. But in Mariv, that's not that's that's that wouldn't be relevant because there is no chazaras hashatz. So therefore, Rav Meishan or Shlomazalman sheet is very important if you're running in and this is the last Mariv of the night that you're able to call tefillah b'tzibur because you at least davened when some of, when those you were part of a tzibur, even though where you were davening, that's not where they were davening. Um, because at least during somewhat in the Shmon Esrei, you are all at the same, you are all in the, somewhere in these 18 or 19 brachas. That is the opinion of Ramesh Roshlam Zalman. Roshlam uh, Zalman actually uh, proves it from the fact that he says, again, like the Prima Godim, what do you gain? There's definitely a person who will start. Yes, you start. But you realize that for most of the tefillah, everybody's in a different veldt. Everybody is somewhere else. They're at a different stay. There's a different part of the Shemad And therefore, if Chazal called this tefillah B'tzibor, it must be as long as we're all being osik in these 19 brochas in some way, even though at different spots, that would have a shame tefillah B'tzibor. Okay, so I told him this is what he should do. Now, he said to me, but I'm being ma, it's, it's a chutzpah. 
And the Gemara does say that one uh, should be careful about doing that, about being mocked in Mitzvah So, um, and, you know, th- there might be something to that, uh, as, as long as, he, but if he does it, I believe, in a way where the Tzibor is, is just davening at a too quick of a pace for him, and he feels that the Kaddish is a tremendous tikkun that he needs to say. So I didn't think that would be a problem. Um, now, I there was a, a uh, when I talked about this psak, um, now again, it would mean missing the Kaddish uh, before Mariv. He wouldn't be able to answer Omein to the Kaddish. But on that, the if you take a look in the Be'er Aloha, the Baralocha in 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 in, in Kuf Dalid, I believe, Kuf Ches, the Baralocha says that it, uh, in, in some way you don't have to worry about that because you're an onus. In other words, right now you have the Chiyav of Tfilu in front of you, and this is your only chance to get it. And this is your only chance to get it. You don't have to worry, perhaps, about other things that might happen. Um, so. Once again, um, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, um, you know, again, he does miss the ability to answer Omein to the Kaddish before Mariv, but again, it's really, uh, I, you know, there, there's, you know, it's either one or the other. If Now, just two responses to this, to this point. One person said to me, well, why doesn't he just daven fast? And we know the Gemara says about Rabbi Akiva, that Rabbi Akiva, when he was B'tzibor, he davened much quicker than he davened B'chidus. And of course, this is really something which perhaps is the most normal, straightforward thing. We all daven in different paces when we realize what's going on. If we're, if we're, you know, if, 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 there's, if we're rushed or if we, we feel we can't concentrate, um, trying to concentrate when you're it's impossible to concentrate is probably worse than rush, than, than, you know, uh, than rushing through. If you know that that your mind is just going to be filled with with worry and anxiety and not really thinking properly, and you don't really have the sense of I'm in, I'm in front of God anyway. So you probably should um, just daven quicker. And if you daven quicker, then it's clear that you will probably at least have a normal tefillah, and maybe that's what this fellow should have done, despite how quick uh, the rest of the tzibur was davening. Um, another person came over to me and said that his Hanhaga had been, he was in the same boat as this fellow, and he said what he would do is he would he would wait, he would daven Mariv with the Tzibor. Um originally, and then later say Birchas Kriyashma. And but <laughs> um but of course he didn't need to say Kaddish. He just was worried about um in other words, what he would do is uh, he would start his Shemona Esrei earlier and uh, and then later do his Birchas Kriyashma. Um, but he was worried about that because he's not being maktim Gula Latvila. He's not saying the Brochas of Gula before Tvila. The Eitzah that I told, that I came up with, at least you have the Kiyam of being maktim Gula Latvila and you have the Shem Tvila B'Tzibor uh, according a little crowded shul and a um, 
a bima in the middle of the Beis HaKnesses. Well, in a little crowd of shul, the bima Beis HaKnesses, many people will stand by that bima and put their siddur on there for Shmones, right? Or in general, use it as sort of like a mini stender. Now, even though it's a bima for for the Sefer Teira, uh, they'll generally do that. Um, they'll also have on the bima, they'll have tzedakah boxes. All right. And maybe uh, if you go out to the bima, you'll see this week's announcements and you'll see other things. Well, is is that proper? Well, what happened to me was I happened to come in a little bit late. My normal seat, I wasn't I wasn't able to. Someone else had sat there. I didn't want to. I didn't want to, that, to kick that person out. So I sat next to the bima, and I, I I used the bima as sort of a table to put my tefillin bag on and put my tefillin on. Uh, and I came in wearing a cap from work, and I and the cap was also together with my um, with my tefillin on the bima well someone came over to me and it was somebody who uh and he said you he said he pushed the cap away he said you can't have that cap on on the bima because you're mizalzel in the you're mizalzel in the bima now what is the zilzel of the bima so in halacha the sefer tire itself has a din of a dovershe biktusha a dovershe biktusha a Dovershebikdusha means that um it's on the highest level. It's higher than this than the building of the Beis Knesset. It's higher in many ways than than other Svarim of Nevi'im. It's it's the Sefer Tayr itself. And that similar to the Tfilin is a Dovershebikdusha. Now that means that if if it turns out that the Sefer Tayra or the Tfilin become unusable. But since they're or the parshkim unusable, they have to. You have to put them in a geniza. You can't. Uh, you can't just get rid of them or throw them out. They have to be buried in a very honorable way. You have to be gones them. Now, tashmisha kedusha have the same din. Tashmisha kedusha means they are meant to to help enable the usage of the dover kedusha. All right. Well, the Sefer Torah is meant to be read. You're supposed to read the Sefer Torah, so you put it on the bima, on this table that, that leans up a little bit, so it allows people to read the Sefer Torah. Okay, that's, a, that's called Tashmishe Kedusha. Now, um, often there was a, a, a question about using that bima. Is that bima, uh, does that, if that bima goes bad, does that also have to be nignaz? Is it a dover tashmishe kedusha or not? So the prima, the post can say prima godim and others that once you put the mappa, once you put the special, uh, the special covering on the bima, so incredibly the shulchan becomes less tashmishe kedusha, even though it provides the the height that you need. For the for the secretary to be read properly, it actually goes down a level. So, in other words, if when you dedicate the 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 bima, it comes with the covering to it. So the tashmishe kedusha is the covering, not the shulchan itself. Okay. Now, uh, the the Mishnah Brewer writes 
that if somebody, and it's based really on the Mordechai who quotes the Yerushalmi, that if somebody is getting an aliyah, and because of his instability, he needs to put his hand down on the bima, that's a problem. Because he says that he's he's being he's he's being mishtamesh in a way with a tashmishe kedusha, which means even even leaning on something, even leaning on something to help you get the aliyah and read the sefer Torah properly is a problem of being mishtamesh of using for personal use a tashmishe kedusha. Halachically, this is a problem. So, the the truth is, the Truma Sadeshan wrote that we find in our small in our communities that even the the uh, even the Aron, the Aronos, where that you put the Sefer Torah in, which is also Tashmishe Kedusha, the Aron is really is, is just is no is in other words the Aron and the and, and the Bima or in this case the Mapa have the same Madrega. Oh, they're in Kodesh. Well, they're in Kodesh is a place where the Sefer Torah goes. Okay. And this mapa, this 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 covering of the bima is also Tashmishe Kedusha. Both of them have, have a very high level, and both of them you're not allowed to just to, to lean on or to use for other purposes or to put the tzedakah box on either, despite the mitzvah of everybody going there. So the Trumas Adeshin wrote that clearly. Because it's this is an this is a, a aspect of aloha, she surely That's impossible for us to be zohir in it. So it must be that all the communities have like an understanding that once these things are dedicated or part of a shul, it's with a tnai. In other words, a dvarm a kedusha. When you dedicate them, if you dedicate them with a certain stipulation, then they don't have the kedusha that they normally would have once the hasmana or the use begins. And therefore, even though people aren't aware of it, the minogim and all the communities, all these things are based on a tanai, and therefore you're allowed to use them for non-holy purposes. But that's only, of course, tashmishe kedusha, not the kedusha itself. You can't the tanai can't work on the sefer Torah, but could work on the beam and the aron. That's why in many communities the aron. If you opened up the Aron where the Sefer Terror was, there was also the Kiddush cups were in there. And there was other stuff that was in there. And the plastic cups were in there and other things that were used. And the reason is, is because there was so little space. Now, obviously, we have much more space. Our shoals are much bigger. And perhaps we don't, we shouldn't rely on this Truma Sadeshan who writes, Rabbi Issa says, I have to say it, this is, this is, this is the din. Um, however, so, Maybe my hat, but I have to have my hat there? Okay, so here I am saying a shtickle of Chiddush. What do we put on the mapa? We put a plastic. Now, the plastic is 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 is, is what? The plastic is a tashmish of a tashmish. The plastic is there that there shouldn't be spillings or other things on the mapa, the actual cloth itself. The beautiful cloth with the mug and dovin on it, that's the Tashmish of Kedusha. The, the plastic which is on top of it is Tashmish to Tashmish. So even though it, with, the, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the Shulchan, it's the opposite, that the Shulchan underneath 
becomes Tashmish to Tashmish. But here it's the it's the you have to look at it logically. What's serving what? Here the the mappa, the I'm sorry, the the plastic on the mappa is the Tashmish of the mappa, which is itself a Tashmish. And therefore you would not have a problem. Now, I, I discovered that in the Kail Chazanish and other places, they would actually have a tremendous kedusha. they felt, for that plastic. And they would take the plastic off and only bring it there when they took the Sefer Terra, because they felt that the plastic became, in itself, the Tashmish de kedusha. But in most shoals, it's not that way. And the plastic is on there, and once it's gone... L'chayra, you wouldn't have to be going as it at all. And therefore, if the plastic is on there, I believe you are allowed to uh, you know, put stuff on there. Because, including the including the announcements or perhaps your hat. Now, you shouldn't necessarily turn it into, or Shlomo Orbach says, and the place just to store the hats, but it is mutter meikar adin, even without the plastic and kalvachimer, with the plastic that is on it. Rabbi Yaman Zilver, who, who discusses this, this issue, based on a question from, from my old elementary school teacher, of Fryam Greenblatt, Rabbi Yaman Zilver actually has an interesting chiddush, and he says, and it was actually relevant this morning, that the clap that people give, that if you're going to give a clap, oh, it's time to daven musaf. Oh, clap. It's say it's, it's, The clap should not be on the bima. The bima's clap there, is, 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 since it's a tzad, that it's tashmishi kedusha, that would be a dover mevuza. So even if you want to say, like the trumas adeshen, that they made a tenai, the Tanai was not this to deprive it of all status. It was to allow normal usage, but not a use that's considered a, a, a insulting use. Rabbi Yaman Zilber, known as Rabbi Yaman Atzadik, uh, the Paisik from, from Eretz Yisrael, uh, he says that a clap, even if you're trying to tell everybody to be quiet, is in a way a, 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 to make that noise, to say, this is my noisemaker, in order to make my point, despite your best intentions, it should not be done on the, should not be done on the, the bima. It should be, you could do it on stender or something else. Um, there is another, uh, Rabbi David Yosef mentions, and this is, uh, I, I think, a very Gwatasvara, that there might be a difference between, and there definitely is, between the uh the the halacha of the das mizrach and das mizrach that bima where they bring the sefer Torah also acts as the omud for the chazan so it never really becomes the tashmish dafka miyuchid for the sefer Torah it's true they do bring the sefer Torah to the same place now over there you have another heter by the way because the sfardish sefer Torah are standing up. And they don't really need, in the same way, uh, the the mappa at all, right? So, but even if they even if they would read Sifrei Torah the way we do, the bima itself doesn't really, and the mappa on it don't really get the same level of tashmush dekedusha. It becomes just like the regular part of the Beis Hakanesah, since that's where they begin their davening. They they don't daven from a special amud; they daven from the middle there. So it never really becomes. A, a despite the fact that they bring the Sefer Torah there, it's not miyuched to the Sefer Torah. It wouldn't have the status of Tashmish Dikdush, and that would be another sad to be makel if you daven in, in, in a Sephardish minion to be able to uh, lean 
or put stuff. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.